Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will continue teaching us from Genesis chapter 24, how God had spoken to Abraham when he called upon him, and how we're to call upon God, not just using the name Jesus or Christ, but by his title of divinity, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we hope you're enjoying these tremendous Bible studies, this great expository teaching that we're getting from Tom Cantor here on Friendship with God. And we do appreciate your listenership, and we hope that you'll go to our website, friendshipwithgod.org, to take advantage of some of our free resources or to go to our bookstore that's there. But we also want to make an invitation to you for 2015 to become one of our monthly supporters of Friendship with God so we can continue broadcasting on this station in your city, as well as providing the messages for free for you, the listener, on iTunes.com, SermonAudio.com, and also on our main website, FriendshipWithGod.org. All there for free listening and free download, but it's there with your support, and we need you to become a monthly supporter if you can. You can call us at 800 247 3051, and we can set you up for that. That's 800-247-3051, and that'll help continue Friendship with God airing on this station in your city and also available by podcast and MP3 download. Again, it's 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051 to support Friendship with God this year in 2015 with a monthly donation of any amount. Or you can donate one time online at friendshipwithgod.org. Now, here's our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, on Friendship with God. Everybody knows him as Jesus, or as Christ, or as Jesus Christ. But to know him as the Lord Jesus Christ is a special revelation. It's a revelation from God. And that's exactly what he told Peter, and it says in Matthew 16, 16 through 17. And Simon Peter answered in him and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. See, Peter says, Thou art the Christ. That's a powerful name, the Christ. But when Peter said, Thou art the Son of the living God, he was saying, The Lord Jesus Christ. He's saying, You are God. That's what he's saying. You are God. He's calling him by the same title that Abraham is calling him, The Lord God of heaven. So Peter calls him the Son of the living God, and Abraham calls him the Lord God of heaven. And the Lord Jesus Christ says to Peter, that was not revealed to you by man. You didn't go to a course on theology and learn that. He said, that was revealed to you by my Father which is in heaven. In other words, Peter was told, flesh and blood did not reveal to you that I am God, but God the Father revealed to you that I am God. And so when we call Jesus the Lord Jesus Christ, the same is true of us. Flesh and blood didn't reveal that to us, that Jesus is God, but God the Father revealed to us that he is God. And that's the reason why we should proclaim this revelation that we have by not just calling him Jesus, not just calling him Christ, not just calling him Jesus Christ, but to call him by that title of divinity, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, in verse 7, Abraham goes on to explain more to Eliezer. He says, the Lord God of heaven, which took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred. Now, what we see here further in this verse is how Abraham explained to Eliezer that the Lord God of heaven took him personally from his father's house, from the land of his kindred, and Abraham was telling telling Eliezer that as he's sitting there from this point of his life, and he's looking back over his life, and he's thinking about what God did for him, he said, it was God. It was God who took me by the hand, just like God took Lot by the hand. And Eliezer was told by Abraham. Abraham was telling Eliezer, he said, look, reflecting back on that Eliezer, I want to tell you, when God took me out of my father's house and out of the land of my kindred, 
I didn't know where I was going. I really didn't. I didn't know where I was going because all really God told me from Genesis 12:1, now the Lord had said unto Abram, get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. Now, Eliezer, he would say to him, I really didn't know. I didn't know where I was going, but it was okay. It was okay because I had God and that's all that mattered. You know, it reminds me when Cheryl and I were, before we were married at Miami University in Ohio, and I picked her up one time and we were driving and she said to me something that really disturbed me. She said, Tom, she said, just keep driving and never stop. <laughs> Boy, that scared me. I thought, I got $100 in my pocket, <laughs> baby. And, uh, <laughs> and the gas will only go so far on $100. And when that gas runs out, I don't know how we're going to get any more money. So I was just shocked at him. It's spooky, you know. It's like Thelma and Louise driving over the cliff in the Grand Canyon, you know. It's like, whoa, that just scared me. And I never, I pretended like I didn't hear it. I never asked her what she meant by that. And for 47 years, I never asked her about that statement because it scared me. I thought, oh, she's a really unstable person. Just keep driving, never stop. Until this year, before she went to heaven, after 47 years, I finally asked her. I said, what did you mean? at Miami when you said, just keep driving and never stop, you know. And she said, I said that because I had you, and with you, I had all I wanted. Now, that's exactly what Abraham was saying to Eliezer. When God told Abraham in Genesis 12, 1, Lech lecha, go, go, go you, get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred, from thy father's house, unto a land that I'll show you. He was saying, just keep driving, don't stop. You know, Abraham left by faith, and it says it describes that faith in Hebrews 11.8 when it says, by faith, Abraham, when he was called to go unto a place which he should have to receive for an inheritance, obeyed, and he went out not knowing whither he went. He didn't know. If Abraham was asked by Eliezer, you know, why did you do that? Why did you obey? You know, maybe it was more than 47 years. You know, why did you go out not knowing where you were going? Abraham would have said the same thing that Cheryl said to me. Abraham would have said, Eliezer, I went out not knowing whither I went because I had God, and with God I had all I wanted. That would have been it. And this concept of I have God, and with God I have all that I want, is what's expressed in the song, All Things in Jesus. It's got this great refrain. All that I want is in Jesus. He satisfies. Joy he supplies. Life would be worthless without him. All things in Jesus I find. Those are the words. That's what's being expressed there. So Abraham is saying to Eliezer that this is the way it happened. So in my first encounter, Abraham would say to Eliezer, with God in Genesis 12:1, a pattern was established where God called Abraham to obey and he didn't give him a roadmap. He did not give him a roadmap of how God was going to solve each problem. But Abraham could say, I found that God had a plan. He has a plan, and I know that he has a plan on how to get a wife for Isaac. But I didn't know the plan when I left Ur of the Chaldees when he said leave, but it all worked out. And I don't know the plan for how God's going to get a wife for Isaac, but it's all going to work out. So the description in verse 7 of the Lord God of heaven, which took me from my father's house or from the land of my kindred, that's a description of what happened to Abraham when he obeyed the Lord God of heaven in Genesis 12.1. Abraham had to leave his father's house, and he lost his people. That's exactly what happened to me as a Jewish kid. 
I had to leave my father's house, and I lost my Jewish people. And that's a pretty accurate description of what so often is the case when a Jewish person comes to the Lord Jesus Christ. They have to leave their father's house, and they lose their Jewish people. Because even though all Jewish people do not agree today on what a Jew is, all Jewish people do agree today on what a Jew is not. (laughs) All Jewish people agree that a Jew is not a Jew if he's a Christian. So go figure that one out. All right. Then notice the three very important words in verse 7. The Lord God of heaven, which took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, which spake unto me. Those are very important words. Spake unto me. And that swear unto me, saying, unto thy seed do I give this land. See, we see when he says this, when Abraham says this, the basis for Abraham's faith, the basis for Abraham's confidence that God was going to give a wife to Isaac. Why was it? Because God spoke to him. God swore to him. And Abraham said, God spoke to him. Just about as good as have it in writing. What did he say? Unto thy seed will I give. God made it very clear that he was, what he was talking about when he says his seed, he made it very clear to him in Genesis 15, 5, when he says, God brought Abraham forth abroad and said, look now toward heaven and tell In other words, get your calculator out or your pad or whatever you mean. Tell if thou be able to number them, the stars. And he said, so shall thy seed be. So God had told Abraham, look up in the sky, number the stars if you can. And God said that your seed in number is going to be like the number of the stars. So as Abraham thought about that, Abraham realized that Abraham's seed was now contracted down to one person, Isaac. If Isaac doesn't get a wife, there's going to be no stars. There's going to be no expansion here. So he realizes Isaac's got to get a wife. Isaac's got to get a wife. And he's confident that Isaac will get a wife based on what? The word of God. God spoke to him. He's confident that. That's Abraham's confidence that Isaac is going to get a wife. And it's not based on Abraham's belief that Isaac's going to get a wife. It's based on Abraham believes because of the word of God. It's because of the word of God that Abraham believed that Isaac was going to get a wife. See, when Abraham believed that Isaac's going to get a wife, Abraham's not taking a leap in the dark. And Abraham's basis belief on the word of God and faith, Abraham's faith, is not based on a leap in the dark. Faith always rests on the word of God. Now, so many people say, well, I believe God that this is going to happen. Well, that's fine. It's wonderful for a person to believe God. But you could ask the question, do you have it in writing? Can you point to it in writing in the word of God? You know, in in the past, God spoke openly to men like Abraham, but that's all changed now. And God speaks through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, as it says in Hebrews 1 through 2. God, who at sundry times, very diverse manners, spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his son. And God speaks through his son, through the Bible, because the Bible is called the word of Christ in Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ, just the verse we were considering this morning in the breaking of bread, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. We have the word of God. It's the word of Christ. It's written. It's written down. So Abraham, in essence, had in writing, so to speak, from God, and God made a contract with Abraham, and Abraham is really saying, God's promised me that through my seed Isaac, he's going to give this land to me. So based on the word of God, Abraham is sure that God has a bride for Isaac. See, faith is acting on the word of God. And God wants us to believe his word, not just believe, but believe based on his word. Because we cannot force God to do something just because we believe. We cannot have this huge amount of belief and then it forces God to do something. 
You know, last Wednesday night prayer meeting, I asked the men, because I have this condition, atrial fibrillation, AFib, so I asked the men, lay hands on me and pray that God will take it away. So each man prays that God will heal me, and, and they only talked about God healing me until it came to Scott. <laughs> Scott prays, Lord, if it's not your will to heal Tom, then I pray that your purpose be worked out. And I remember thinking, that's not the right prayer, Scott. <laughs> Everybody else is praying to heal me. And, but Scott was right. Because I don't have anything in writing from God that says he's going to take away my AFib. Apostle Paul, he wanted to be healed from his, I don't know if he had AFib, but he had a thorn in the flesh, some physical problem. And he wrote about it in 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 9. And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing, he said, for this physical problem, this health problem I have, I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, no, but he didn't know. It says, he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. See, Paul went through some time, it's a long time with this health problem, which he called the thorn in the flesh. And no one wanted to be healed more than Paul did. And Paul, I'm sure he believed in faith healing, but he knew, Paul found out, I can't force God. I can't force God to heal me because he believed, just because he believed that God was going to heal him. Paul was not demanding God to heal him, but he was bringing his need to God, and God told him no. And then Paul learned a new way to view his health problem. Paul made himself thankful for his health problem. And he said, great, my health problem wasn't welcomed in the past, but now I welcome it because now that I have this problem, this health problem, the power of Christ is resting on me. My strength, he said, is made perfect in your weakness. Verse 7, Abraham tells Eliezer what God is going to do for him. He says in verse 7, and we see he makes a particular promise to Abraham. So what did Abraham say in verse 7 that God was going to do for Eliezer? He's going to send his angel. That's it. He's going to send his angel. So as Abraham looked at Sarah, he thought to himself, or he thought back on Sarah, he thought to himself, he didn't deserve Sarah, but it was God's grace that gave him Sarah. And Abraham got Sarah before God called him. He got her in Ur of the Chaldees. As Abraham looked back over his life in Ur of the Chaldees, Abraham saw that whatever wealth that I got from my family came from the inheritance of my father that was left to me. But Abraham's father had nothing to do with Abraham getting Sarah. Sarah came from God. That's what it means in Proverbs 19.14. House and riches are the inheritance of fathers, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. We'll return with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God in just a moment. We want to announce that we have an opening here in the Southern California area with Israel Restoration Ministries. We're looking for a full-time missionary and volunteer missionaries to work with our Jewish evangelism mission, which is to reach lost Jewish people here in the Southern California area, San Diego, Orange County, and Los Angeles. We reach people all over the world, but we have an open full-time position in San Diego and in the Los Angeles area with Israel Restoration Ministries. So if you know someone that would like to be a full-time missionary or a volunteer missionary, have them contact us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. You can also call us to receive a free Jewish evangelism gift to give to a lost Jewish person or to make a donation towards Jewish evangelism and friendship with God. Again, 800-247-3051. Now here's our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. 
prudent wife is from the Lord. It's very interesting that word prudent, sakal, in, um, in Hebrew, because it means, and as I explain this, you married men, you think about your wives, the meaning of the word prudent, because it means a wife that is wise, a wife that is instructed by God, a wife that is circumspect, a wife that considers what is not obvious and gives attention to it, a wife that has discernment to see beyond what is merely the appearance. That's all tied up in that word. And a man who has a wife like that, he's received her from the Lord. And a man who doesn't have a wife like that, I'm not telling you where he received her from. But Abraham had this type of sakal wife, prudent wife, in Sarah. And Abraham knew that he had this from the Lord. And Abraham wanted for Isaac to have the sakal or prudent wife from the Lord because of this verse we just talked about in Proverbs 19.14. So Abraham tells Eliezer, he'll send his angel before thee, and thou shalt take a wife for my son. Now, in order to see this more clearly, this last part of verse 7 here, what he's really saying, you have to insert the word therefore between the word and and thou. You see how the whole meaning changes if you just put that word therefore in there? See, God's going to send the angel before you. That's the reason why you're going to be able to get a wife for my son from my country. If we could only see what Abraham is saying here in verse 7, if we go and see how much of what we are able to do in life because God has sent his angel before us. We accomplish something and we have a wrong perspective when we say, look what I was able to do or look what I did. When we should have the perspective of saying, look what God enabled me to do. Moses was trying to get the Jewish people to change their mind's perspective on this in Deuteronomy 8.18 when he said, but thou shalt remember the Lord thy God for it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth. So Abraham told Eliezer, God would send his angel before him. And this raises the question, what do angels do? What are angels, you know? Well, they have many functions, but the one function that Abraham is referring to here is the one that's talked about in Hebrews 1, 13 through 14, where it says, but to which of the angels said he at any time, sit on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. And speaking of angels, goes on Hebrews 1, 14. Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation. See, what we learn in this verse in Hebrews 1.14 is that angels have the title of ministering spirits. The word ministering means that angels are working for the benefit of others. And spirits is the word pneumo, from which we get pneumonia. And pneumo means breath. And so, in other words, you cannot see a breath, you cannot see the wind, but it's there and it has a purpose. You cannot see angels, but they're there, they're real, and they serve a purpose. And then in Hebrews 1.14, when it says, are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? It's telling us that angels are sent by God. They're sent by God. They are beings that are on an assignment from God. And the word minister means to serve. It's the same word that's used to describe Martha as translated as serving in Luke 10.40, where it says, but Martha was cumbered with much serving. See, next, when Hebrews 1.14 says, they are not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation, it describes who the angels are serving. And they're serving those who will be heirs of salvation. It literally means they're ministering to them who shall be heirs of the rescue of the rescue. The rescue is what the word salvation means. Rescue. You know, this last week, maybe you're following it, this last week the miners were trapped in the gold mine in Nicaragua, 300 feet into the mountain in Nicaragua. It's a long way. 
And after 24 hours and over 100 men digging round the clock, finally they got 22 of those miners were rescued. And when the rescuers finally made this small hole, this air hole to them, they yelled into that tomb, God is giving you a second chance at life. And when the miners came out, they said, God has answered our pleas to keep living. It's about life. And those miners are a picture of us because we were trapped. We were doomed to die because of our sins. And the Lord Jesus Christ is the one who dug us out when he died for our sins on the cross. And we as the rescued say, God has answered our pleas for life. And he as the rescuer says to us, now you have a second chance to live. This time live forever. And what the salvation is called is the rescue. That's why the Lord Jesus Christ is the rescuer. And that's why we are the rescued. And when we come to the Lord Jesus Christ for his great salvation, we're coming to him for his great rescue. Because what it's really meaning in Romans 6.23 is saying, when it says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The wages for our personal sin is death, an eternal state of death and hell. But the great gift of God is the great rescue into eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So when Hebrews 1.14 says that angels are ministering to us, it's describing when it says, spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation. Now, we see Abraham is thinking now in verse 8, and he says, if the woman will not be willing to follow thee, then thou shalt be clear of this my oath. Only bring not my son to there again. Now here we see something very revealing about the thinking way of Abraham, or the way Abraham thinks, thoughts, and always in Japan, they'd always say, ah, oh, Katra-san, now we understand your thinking way. <laughs> I don't even understand my own thinking way. But anyway, so in verse 3, Abraham has revealed to us that he is absolutely a, vehemently opposed to Isaac marrying one of the Canaanites. That's non-negotiable. It's a matter of principle. He cannot marry a Canaanite. And in verses both 6 and 7, Abraham is just as vehemently opposed to bringing Isaac back to the old country to get a wife. Now, if Isaac can't get a wife from the women that he's with, and no woman's willing to come, then Eliezer raises this possibility that, okay, what's going to happen? We might think that Abraham might say something like this. Now, you listen to me, Eliezer. (laughs) You're working for me. The wife not coming is not an option. I'm too weak to do this job myself of getting a wife, so I'm relying on you to do this job to get the wife. And a woman's not willing to come, that's not an option. Go there and get another one. Whatever it takes, Eliezer, you bring back a bride. Don't come back without a bride. You could have said that, you know. That reminds me of how young men get their wives where Scanabodies, Ethiopia, is located in Budajira among the Guragi people. It's the people we work with. And so Budajira sits at the base of Mount Guragi. Mount Guragi is 12,000 feet, and it's very heavy jungle vegetation on Mount Guragi. And you see, as you look up on the mountain, you see some smoke coming here and there. You can't see them, but there are huts which are hidden in there, and they're not easy to get to. You know, one time someone wanted, invited me to go climb to the top of Mount Guragi, and I said, I'll have lunch instead. And so, <laughs> anyway, and so a young man, this is what ha- typically happens. And a young man in Budajira, he eyes over the women of the city, and he secretly makes his choice of the one he wants for a wife. Then he tells his father, who then goes and rents one of those huts up there, and those secluded huts in Mount Guragi, And after he's made that arrangement, then the father then organizes a kidnapping party who then kidnaps the girl and takes her up to the hut to his waiting son. And they hold her in this prison up there, so to speak, for six months until she gets pregnant. 
And then they come off the mountain and everyone accepts them as father and wife or as husband and wife or as husband of what will eventually be three wives. Now, that start of a marriage makes for wonderful marital relations. And 90% of our 190 employees there in Scandibides, Ethiopia, they're women. And so many of our employees have gone through this experience of being kidnapped wives. And we've seen how most of them have become believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we have, for example, a new employee and she's a pretty young single girl working for us, we understand what happens if she disappears for six months. Now, that Guragi custom of kidnapping a wife really reflects an attitude of forcefulness. It's where it's no, it's not an option. And that's a Guragi attitude. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, well, that's a heathen practice. You know, those Ethiopians over there, I'm, a, I'm not a heathen. But we're all prone to have this Guragi attitude, you know, of, of pushing our self-will and saying no is not an option. Samson had that. That was the problem with Samson. He had the Guragi attitude. In Judges 14, 1 through 3, when it says, And Samson went down to Timnath and saw a woman in Timnath of the daughter of the Philistines, and he came up and told his father and his mother and said, I have seen a woman in Timnath of the daughters of the Philistines. Now, therefore, get her for me to wife. And then his father and his mother said unto him, Is there never a woman among the daughters of thy brethren or among all my people that thou goest to take a wife of the uncircumcised Philistines? And Samson said to his father, Get her for me, she pleaseth me well. We hope you enjoyed Tom Cantor's teaching today here on Friendship with God. We want to encourage you to get two resources from Tom Cantor, who is the owner and operator of the Creation and Earth History Museum and a scientist. We've got two books, Dinosaurs in the Bible and Your Origins Matter. Both of these books are available for a donation of $20 or more, and we'll send you Dinosaurs in the Bible and Your Origins Matter, all science and Bible-based books for you as your support of Friendship with God. Call us now at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051, or go online to friendshipwithgod.org.